0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Welcome to uh, a series called Witness. We are targeting cultural issues. And one of the ones I want to confront today is... um, is kind of displayed in Moby's animated music video. Uh, and it's, it's an issue I think we're all, we all resonate with. And so um, we are asking the question, what does it look like for us to engage in culture in a redemptive way? How do we live as a redemptive presence? Americans spend, on average, 4.3 hours watching television a day. Uh, average American spends one hour and 40 minutes browsing social media. The average American spends one hour on the internet unrelated to social media. Now, remember, there's 24 hours in a day. So just as you start adding these up, you realize where our time goes. The average American now checks their phone, their mobile phone, 150 times a day. That's every, uh, checking your phone every six minutes. of American teens admit to feeling addicted to their smartphones. 77% of parents say their teenagers were sometimes distracted on their phones or tablets during time spent together with family. 44% of smartphone users admit that they would experience a great deal of anxiety if they lost their phone and they couldn't replace it for a week. 61% of smartphone users say they sleep with their phone on either under their pillow or next to them in the bed. This is uh, one survey discovered that the average cell phone user is on their device for three hours and eight minutes every single day. And then there's do- this professor uh, did some research and he said instant messaging, text messaging addiction uh, was driven by materialism and impulsiveness. Mobile phones are, uh, par- are are not just sorry. Mobile phones are part of our consumer culture. They're not just a consumer tool, although. Um, of all the online sales on Black Friday, which had over $3.3 billion, it's a world record of internet shopping, 40% was done on the cell phone this year. They're not just a consumer tool, but they are used as a status symbol. So they're eroding our personal relationships. Getting hooked on a mobile phone is similar to other addictions, such as compulsive buying. With so much information battling for space in our mind, It's no wonder our attention span has been uh, steadily shrinking. In the shallows, what the internet is doing to our brains by Nicholas Carr, he points out that in 2000, the year 2000, the average amount of time we could stay focused on one task without a mind wandering onto something else was 12 seconds, and it's now eight seconds. This is the culture that we're swimming in. We're all part of this. Remember, we've talked about culture. Culture is not neutral. It's bending us towards a particular direction. It's moving us towards something. We've, we've discussed all these things. Narcissism, last week, we've talked about our culture moving us towards self-focus and narcissism. We've talked about how worship becomes this counter habit to this way of narcissism that moves us to focus and reorient our lives, both privately and corporately, to God. We've talked about how our culture moves and bends us towards consumerism and materialism, defining ourselves by what we own and possess, and that the counterformational habit habit are things like the, the, the disciplines of the spirit, like simplicity and minimalism, where we learn to live an alternative lifestyle in a culture that defines itself by consumerism. And finding happiness and meaning from what you possess and own. And so we've been addressing all of these issues. We've talked about politics. We've talked about the Bible. And this one in particular is a unique one because I've never heard a talk on it, but I wanted to address it. Um, I want to talk about how to live as a redemptive presence in a culture and age of distraction. How do we live as a redemptive presence in a culture and age of distraction? And I mean, I list the statistics. You see the shocking, jarring video of Moby, and we see it's it's a reality that we all face. It seems like our culture celebrates the multitasker. We wear busyness. How are you doing? Busy. We wear busyness like a a badge of honor as if it gives us more significance and meaning because we don't know how to slow down. We are a selfie generation. We're digitally connected as a society, but we are relationally fractured and disconnected. We're built for meaningful relationships, but we have no way how to connect with other people outside of these devices. Literally, someone was telling me yesterday, one of my friends was saying that their family will Skype them on a device with the TV on, their feet up, a computer in their hand, and their other device just Skyping through them. There's there's multiple devices, but isn't that how we watch shows now? Put Netflix on and we have our computer or our phone, it, it, this is the reality we live in. It's all what we're used to. It seems like the things that we've designed to make life easier are the things that are actually taking away the life we really want. And there's nothing wrong with technology in itself, it's actually good. My son would have complications during childbirth if it wasn't for the technology that we now have in hospitals. People are alive because of the technology. The, the, there are movements that take place and overthrow fascist regimes because of social media and technology. That, that's, those are helpful things. I was just watching what's going on with the pipeline and how drones are actually bringing evidence um, that, that's needed to, create a, to help a cause. I mean, it's amazing. So technology, the access that we have to technology is not a bad thing in itself. And, and, and the distraction, I don't wanna just highlight the cell phone. It. It's just a symbol. Like how much time we spend on, on TV is just a symbol of, of something deeper. Would you agree with me on that? Like there's something else going on in our lives. Let's talk about the distraction of anxiety in our life. The preoccupation of what other people think. Let's talk about um, the stress that we carry. Let's talk about um, the relational unhealth that we carry. And we can literally be in two places at once. We could be somewhere else mentally and physically be somewhere else. My wife is regularly challenging me on this. And so these are just symbols. These are cultural artifacts that I just wonder what people will say about us. I've, I've jokingly said this, but I seriously mean it. I wonder if one day a future generation will think of how we are so connected in the ways that we think about cigarettes. I mean, we, why on earth would you put cancer in your body? That's what we think about cigarettes today. But there was a whole generation that had it as a status, as a, a way of relaxing, and all sorts of things. They didn't have the information that we have now. I wonder if in future context, people will be like, can you believe our parents and how they had these devices on 24-7? That's just a thought I've carried around in my head and heart, wondering as I see um, babies interact with Apple products and all sorts of things. So not to come down, but really the question in quest, I suppose, is how do we live as a redemptive presence in the culture and age of distraction? I want to talk about it now because we're in Advent, and there's nothing more appropriate than talking about it during Advent. Advent is a, uh, comes from a Latin word that comes from a Greek word for arrival. And it's a time in, church, in the church calendar that we as the church... Um, celebrate and posture our lives in preparation for the arrival of the baby Jesus. So throughout history, for thousands of years, the church has chosen Advent as the beginning of the calendar year for the church. And what the church intended for Advent to be was a time where we intentionally slowed down corporately and individually our lives to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. And that's what Advent's designed for. Now, how do we experience Christmas today in this season? The opposite of slowing down. It is rushed, full of anxiety. We have holiday stress, which is a literal thing you can be diagnosed with. Um, we, We have, we are, there are more parties and commitments to things, more money we spend. Two thirds of us will go into debt this Christmas just to afford what Christmas presents us. We're confronted with the opposite. Now, I want you to just think, how does a pregnant woman prepare for childbirth, for their child being born? It takes 10 months and some get really, really sick. Um, in the beginning, but then what happens over time is they don't speed up their lives as the pregnancy goes on and they have this giant thing inside of them that completely rearranges their insides and makes every movement uncomfortable and every breath. They actually are forced to slow down, to reorient their lives. They actually physically cannot do things later on in months of pregnancy that they were able to do early on. Pregnancy forces a pace that's different than when you're not pregnant? And how do we then, as the church, prepare for the arrival? And I think one of these things I wanna talk about is becoming present, disciplining ourselves to be aware and pay attention. Are you with me? Are you with me? 1115? Can I get a witness? All right, there we go. So how do we do it? I wanna talk through Exodus real quick, Exodus 3. So if you have a Bible, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make some observations. Um, about one particular story, one encounter that Moses has. Moses um, has this encounter with God, I wanna just make some subtle observations, very obvious observations, actually, and then talk, just share with you some insight from this story that actually a 3,000-plus-year-old document has a lot to say about how we might want to interact in the world today. So we'll start there, and then if we have time, I'm gonna share a story about Jesus and then we'll close with some ministry time. Last service is an amazing time of ministry, um, and I have the same feeling that there's gonna be a great ministry time here. I think the Lord wants to do some healing and just bring peace in ways that we need it. Um, literally pray for those that have holiday stress because it is a real thing, um, and anxiety. So does this sound good? Exodus 3, verse 1. Moses uh, is writing this letter, and what you need to know just Quick, I can tell you a lot about Exodus, but this book, Exodus, is written by Moses, most people think. And and as he's described throughout this book is he is the least likely candidate to be a leader of a movement. He is unimpressive, indecisive. He drags his feet. He makes excuses. He argues with God. He refuses to be obedient at times. He doubts and he wrestles with God. Anyone here resonate with any of those things? Great, you you don't have a model to strive after for in Moses. What you have in the story of Exodus is simply a companion. He's somebody that stands next to you as an ordinary guy, showing you what it looks like to be obedient and follow God in your ordinary life. So Exodus 3.1, story of the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. How many of you would love to work for your father-in-law? Show of hands. Okay, so he's... <laughs> No hands went up. So there he is, working with his father-in-law. Uh, at least it's not his mother-in-law. But the priest of Midian... Oh, that was a low. I don't really mean it. I love it. She's not going to listen to this. It's totally fine. She's amazing. No, she's amazing. I'm not joking. I'm just looking for my sister-in-law. Um, so, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Sorry, um, There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses, check this out, saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, hey, I'm going to go over this strange sight and see why it's not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So now go, verse 10, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this is a chance encounter with God. Uh, It's a foundational text for the book of Exodus. It's Moses' encounter with God. And I wanna make observations about how do we live as a redemptive presence in a culture of distractions from this story. Here are some observations. Point number one, um, it says that Moses was tending his flock or his father-in-law's flock. So what you need to know is this. Moses was a shepherd. He was with his sheep. He was watching his sheep because he was tending his flock. Why is this so significant? Well, he has an encounter with God in his nine to five. Moses encounters God in his everyday, ordinary life. That's significant for lots of reasons. His mountaintop experience is, even though it was literally on a mountain, his mountaintop experience was in his everyday, ordinary life. Is that good news for some of us? Because we have these experiences, but then we go back to work. It's always like this. Well, you know, there was this time I was at this one particular sacred place, this church, but then I went to another place and I left that and I don't experience it like I once did. We attach some type of holy, sacred, more valuable, more important, spatial place to our lives. We value things, as, as more significant than others. And that's natural, that's human, but think about this. So what Moses is doing is what he did every day. And when he's doing what he did every day, he stumbles upon something. He stumbles upon um, a bush. It says, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn out. Now, why is this significant? Well, if, what you need to know is during, the, during um, in the Middle East, uh, bushes burning was a totally normal occurrence. It was not unusual for there to be things that were caught on fire. And the rabbis actually talk about this all the time, that this was a normal occurrence in in the wilderness or in the desert regions. Bushes would burn, things would happen. What's significant is that in his everyday ordinary life, Moses watched it long enough to know that it wasn't being consumed. What does that say? Moses was paying attention. Moses was paying attention in his everyday, ordinary life. That is enough to go off of and say, all right, guys, have a great week. Pay attention to your everyday, ordinary nine-to-five life because God wants to meet you in your everyday, ordinary existence because guess what? That's where you are, and God simply wants to meet you where you are. So what we observe from this text is that Moses is is paying attention, and this awareness, this thing's not burning up, this awareness enables an encounter with God. Okay? So he could have just passed by. Bush is burning. He could have just, I mean, if it was today, it would have been like this. And this chance encounter with the divine to become the leader of a movement, the the, the, the um, Messiah figure for Exodus of the liberation of God's people. He would have just browsed his way through that encounter with God. Rabbis actually talk about this. How many burning bushes did Moses miss before he paid attention? It's a question. So, He's paying attention and, and, and something, he, 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 he's aware and the awareness enables him to encounter God and it wasn't just a bush, it was a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And why is this so important, this idea of everyday ordinary life? I, I think it's connected to our form of spirituality and I already alluded to it, but our, our word spiritual in English is connected to the Greek word for spiritual and the Greek definition is about um, a separation from the material world. If there's an opposite of spiritual in the Greek, it's material, and so the definition from Greek is that to be spiritual is to leave the mundane, the everyday, the material world, and go to this other space, this spiritual realm where the material and the mundane aren't in existence, and we have that Platonic Greek way of existence. This is how we view lots of us. The scriptures. This is why um, the the Western thinkers, when they read this Hebrew text, the Old Testament or even the New Testament, we have this we have this view that God's plan is to zap us out of here and go to some spiritual place when we die. But that's not biblical. In fact, in classic Hebrew, there's no word. Classical Hebrew, there's no word for spiritual because that would that would make the assumption that something's not spiritual because the Hebrew concept. Of the world is that everything's spiritual. The material and the spiritual are all integrated into this thing called the earth. It's all integrated in God's design. And if you read the Bible cover to cover, the story is God's activity happens here on this earth. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and then the church is happening now. But when it all comes together, when the fulfillment of all things, as Ephesians says, happens, it's right here, earth. And heaven are renewed. Heaven actually comes here. So what does this say? Well, when we separate the significance of the material from the spiritual, we lose power and significance. Or let me even go one step further. We think that when we come to, a lot of us, and this is me too at times, that when we come to church, we come to church that there is something spiritual charging here. There's some type of spiritual charge that this is a holy and sacred place where God's presence is in the midst and he's going to move, and let's lower the lights and make sure that we're going to uh, create this atmosphere for God to move. That's the last thing you need to think about at the garden. In fact, what we're trying to remind you as we gather with songs, as we create space, we want to remind you of all that is holy, sacred, and spiritual on your commute on Monday morning. This is to re-energize you for all the sacred temple work you have Monday through Saturday. This is what we believe. And so for some of you, you think, well, great. okay, I get it. The mission then is my job. And so you get to your job. You're like, this is where God wants me to interact. But how you got to your job on the 405 did not look like Jesus. And it shouldn't. No, it should. Because that's like Sheol and hell all combined in one. Pretty much 24-7. It doesn't matter because there's always road closures. Anyways, bless the 405, Lord. Expand it. it. Just grow its. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, so when, we, when we create that type of dichotomy, we miss that actually God wants to interact with us in our everyday, ordinary life. Moses teaches us to um, pay attention to everything. And, and what I love is that it, Moses saw that it was burning, and then it, it says he goes to the bush um, to see what's going on. And then it says, when God saw him go over there. So let me just, let's just back up. Have you ever been in a place where you're just like, Where are you, God? Come on, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. Just show up. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. I need an answer. Lord, I, you're in despair, praying. Lord, just show up. It says that Moses actually went, he's paying attention to his life. He he went over there. And once God saw him go over there, then God speaks to him. Why? Because obedience always leads to a greater encounter. You wanna wanna hear God's voice in your life? Start doing the things that Jesus did. Don't wait to hear it. Just start, read the Bible. Pray. Pray. Get some silence and solitude. Serve other people. You want to experience God's presence in your life? Give your life away and watch what happens with His presence in your life. I'm preaching all sorts of goodness to 1115. You're welcome. This is not in my notes, this is for some of you sprinkled across who will take this and manifest the hundredfold ministry. This is what, so God, with his obedience, there's a greater encounter. And it was because of that that Moses now says, when he hears Moses, Moses, he says, Yeah, here I am. What does that say to us? Well, he's not only observing, he's not only paying attention and aware, he enters in, and when he hears something, he participates. Because when God shows up in a burning bush, you can choose. First of all, you got to see it. If you don't see it, you're not gonna get to do this, but you can choose to participate or not. It's your choice. And he says, here I am in that moment. Here I am, I'm here. And then he goes on and he calls Moses and Moses will become Moses, he he literally makes every excuse. The rest of Exodus three is ridiculous. He's like throwing out obstacle left and right to God. This is God speaking from a burning bush. He's like, well, what about this? I don't feel good. What about this? What about this? And three, and it's like, God's like, good Lord. Okay, just take your brother and get out of here. And what happens is he becomes, he becomes a partner with God and bringing his presence to the people of God and the rest of the world by saying, yeah, okay, I guess I will do it because he was paying attention in his everyday, ordinary life. But there's one more thing that I love, and this is, this is where, where um, God speaks to Moses, and he's like, all right, all right. He saw that he came over here. He says, Moses, Moses, he says, here I am. And then he says, hey, do, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Now, the rabbis debate this. They, throughout history, the rabbis would debate, was the ground sacred, because it was sacred geographically, or, Was it sacred because the presence of God was there? And I wanna argue that the presence of God was there, but what the rabbis go on to argue is that it wasn't just that the presence of God was there, it was that Moses was aware of the presence of God. That's what makes it holy and sacred. Brothers and sisters, as you carry the presence of God wherever you go, as you walk into the Starbucks, take off your sandals you are on, don't literally do that. Um, okay, Darren said to do it. Pastor Darren, I'm going in line. All right. No, but you, <laughs> I could just, could just, that would be so awkward. Do not do that. But, but you bring the presence of God wherever you go. Are you aware of the power you possess when you walk into a room? the environment and atmosphere changes because the odds of the room goes up because you walked in. Do you believe that about yourself? Remember, to be Christian is simply to be like Jesus and do what he did. And so what we learn from Moses is this awareness that inca- creates a, a chance encounter. Obedience leads to greater encounter, that he will be used by God, that all of life is sacred and holy, and that burning bush- bushes are everywhere. The, 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 um, the rabbis talked about how many bushes did Moses miss on his journey. And that's the reality is that there are burning bushes everywhere. And what are these burning bushes? I believe that the, I think burning bushes are opportunities in our everyday ordinary life for us to interact with God on his behalf, for creation. That God is speaking all the time, God is moving all the time, God is uh, trying to to activate us all the time. The question is, are we available and present to what he's doing? How many opportunities have we missed because we are just doing this? Burning bushes are everywhere. I have a friend uh, who told me a story, he was on a plane to Sacramento. And he saw this woman with this neck brace. And we had been talking about healing prayer. And he thought, hey, I should pray for her. And he, was, he waited, but he chickened out. He didn't do it. You know, it was awkward. It was on a plane. Um, so uh, he didn't end up doing it. He thought about it all week when he was up north. And then when he got back on a plane from Sacramento to Long Beach, he saw the same woman with the same neck brace. And he's like, gosh, I got another chance. I got to pray for this woman. So all throughout the flight, he's like, I gotta do it, I gotta do it, I gotta do it, waiting for the opportunity. Finally, they land, and he gets this opportunity to grab her bags, help her with her bags. He begins to talk to her, and then he begins to say, hey, I would really love to pray for your neck. I can see that you have this thing. And she began to tell him that she, she had an accident, and she needs to, to, to have this neck brace on for 12 months. Um, and, and he said, it's so funny. I, I saw you on the way up here, and I chickened out. Can I pray for you? So they get off the plane. He prays for her. And nothing happens. She has the neck brace on, but she, uh, she takes off and he takes off. But he prayed for her. Amazing. And then he's driving in Seal Beach a week later, sees the woman he prayed for, no neck brace, walking across the street. He rolls down his window. He doesn't, he doesn't roll. He just pushes that. But this is for effect. And he yells out her name and, and he's like, what's up? And she says, you did this. So for my friend, the burning bush was looking for opportunities to pray. That's pretty courageous. The neck brace was the burning bush. That's crazy, right? Totally normal. My wife was at, uh, going into Trader Joe's um, before she got sick being pregnant, and it was right at the beginning of October. And she, um, she walked in, and she saw this 20-year-old mom with a 4-year-old uh, son. And uh, they were begging for money. And so she's like, what do you need? How can I help? And she she went on to say she had three other kids at home that are older and she needs food. And she's like, you know, let's just go in. We'll get some food for you. She spoke broken English, so Alex begins to go, and my wife is a human calculator, so everything is dialed, and we have weekly budget for our groceries out or whatever, and she tells me the story. She's like, I was pushing the cart, and I just kept saying, just get whatever you need, and she took it seriously, so she just kept filling the cart, and as she filled the cart, my wife says, she was calculating how many weeks of groceries it was gonna cost us, Um, but as she put that in, and Alex is calculating, the woman just cries. She's crying. She's getting chicken and all, you know, meat and all this stuff for a kid. And throughout, as they go throughout Trader Joe's, completely filling up this cart, um, she's crying hysterically. It's making, it's beginning to make a scene. And then she starts arguing with her son, um, and she keeps telling him no, no, no. And Alex is like, "What's going on? What does he need?" Because they're speaking Spanish. He doesn't speak Spanish, and she's like, "Well, um, we we're just trying to get what we need. Thank you so much. That's all we need." And well, she's like, "No, no, no. what, what is he saying? What, what does he want?" And she says, uh, he, he wants a pumpkin for Halloween. And um, my wife says, you can absolutely have a pumpkin. And his face just looks big, like waiting for permission. And her, her mom gives permission, and he runs off to grab a pumpkin. And See, this is what I love about the story, because um, sometimes it's not the groceries that remind you, but it's the pumpkin, the $4 pumpkin, that reminds you of the extravagant grace and generosity of God. The burning bush in this moment was simply somebody in need. Those are all around us all the time. I remember I was, a few years ago, 2012, I stopped surfing for a while. I was going through a season. This is the best way I could describe it. Have you ever been so anxious? I mean, I would get on the freeway and have panic attacks, felt trapped, I had anxiety 24 seven. I was depressed. It was like the dark cloud over me, but it was so bad that I was no longer satisfied with things I used to like to eat. Like that's like the worst for me. Like taste is everything and things began to lose their taste. Anyone experienced that? Or, or you would be really excited to go home and check out on a Netflix series, but what you once thought was good or cool or whatever once gave you life to watch TV, you just no longer wanted to watch. You were just that type of despair. Anyone there? Anyone experience that? In that moment, I chose to go surfing randomly one day. I hadn't surfed for months. It was a really cold day, and it's usually always cold for me, but it was really cold. I had a 4-3 wetsuit on. I was sitting out on the, on the board. I was trying to catch these baby waves, and nothing was happening. I was fighting. I was angry, I was, and I began to get frustrated. I began to yell at God, cussing, yell, like literally outside. I remember this moment, because it was a defining moment because of what happened, but, the, but then there was this, after I said what I needed to say, I was like, God, what do you want from me? Like, what the hell do you want from me? And he just stopped. I just cussed. You needed to hear it. You, God can handle your cuss words. And if they're not going to go to him, then where are they going to go? They're going to go out here. He's big enough here. That's my God is. Just read the Psalms. <laughs> You wanna see some cussing, go to the Psalms. Like over 80%, 70% of the Psalms are lament. God, what the heck are you doing? So, um, and more exploitive. Uh, and so there I was, broken, what the hell? And um, what do you want from me? And he just, I, and it's like all of a sudden I looked where I was and I lifted my head. And he said, absolutely nothing, boy. I love you so much. Weeping. Peace, joy, restoration of soul. I had been disconnected in some way. Burning bush, lifting my head to what was going on. Encounter with God. Brutal, honest awareness, and I was aware of this voice. Because if you hear, when you open up to God and you hear condemnation, that's not God's voice. When you hear you should do more, that's not God's voice. That's some false God in your head. God is regularly trying to remind you of how much he loves you, how good you are, how beautiful you are, that you're enough as you are, not as you should be, that he's given everything to be with you. He's waiting for you just to lift up your head and say, God, and he'll be like, I'm there, my boy, my little girl. I love you. Burning bushes are all around us. Are we paying attention? Are we aware of what God's doing? This is, this is the other thing, that the, the encounters that we have are not for us. They're not for us. And this is why the, one of the problems I have with the way we emphasize worshiping gatherings in the church is it's all about this. God, just give me, give me, give me. I had a great experience. If the experience doesn't lead you to continue the mission of Jesus in your everyday ordinary life, then that's not a worthy experience in my opinion. God does wanna meet with you and heal you for the sake of the world. So Moses has this encounter not to be like, oh, I talked to a bush. Yay, It sends him on this mission that he was not equipped for that was overwhelming and massive that spends the rest of his life trying to fulfill in obedience, and that's the same is true for us. So are you guys with me? So paying attention, this is how we live as a redemptive presence. Let me just, can I just, it's 1235. We try to keep it like an hour and a half, which means 1245, but can I just, I gotta finish strong with the story of Jesus. Can I do that? Permission? If you need to go, just go. I know who you are you true. I can see you. If not, we'll just make sure the camera, will you just record them leaving so we have it on podcast? That'd be awesome. Now you're stuck. Some of you are like, I really have to pee though. It's not a (laughs) month. Okay, so Jesus models this. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. John 5, 19. And I believe that we can do this, that we can become the kinds of people that do this. And there's a story that I love because it, it really speaks to our condition and um, it becomes a helpful model for us. And it's a beautiful picture in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus um, <clears throat> came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her and let, um, so that she will be healed and live. You, you could just imagine the desperation. Father, desperate, a leader, a ruler, of a synagogue meant that he was responsible for the finances of that local church. He was um, he was responsible for the scrolls. If they had any scrolls of the Old Testament, the Torah, he would be responsible. He would be the public reader. He was significant. He's probably wealthy. He, in a moment of desperation, falls before this rabbi, this prophet, the that would-be Messiah, the, the Messiah of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, my daughter's dying. And Jesus went with him. In a large crowd, it says, followed, and pressed around him. So the image is just just a a Chance the Rapper concert. Okay, so just that. No, that didn't work? Okay. Dixie Chicks? No? I don't know what kind of crowd you are. uh, Star Wars opening night? Yes! There we are! Have you seen? I'm wondering if next week I should wear my Rogue One shirt or come dressed as Darth Vader and preach from the gospel of Luke. Luke. (laughs) So that's what we picture is the opening of Star Wars. And so, but then the story goes on and it says, so he's completely pressed. He's on this mission. Someone is literally dying. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. And the Greek language here is that she's, she was tormented, tortured with her condition. 12 years bleeding. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, In first century context, this was so taboo. If you were a woman on your regular monthly period, You were excommunicated from community. You had to wait to be cleansed once you were done. You had seven days until you were announced clean. But during that period, you couldn't touch another person because you would contaminate them and make them unclean. And so they would have to go through a ceremonial cleansing to be marked as clean. So if you were continued, if you continue to bleed, you were excommunicated from fellowship community, excommunicated from worship and presence of God in your life through the temple. You were marked as unclean in society. This woman not only was suffering and tormented with a physical condition. She had spent everything she possibly, possibly could on doctor's visits, on getting well, on cures. Not only that, she was without community family because of her condition. Can you imagine? Now, if she had the audacity to touch another person intentionally, it was most likely that she would be punished according to the law. And she thought to herself, if I could just come up close enough and touch him, then I'll be healed. And the story is, there's a little girl dying. Jesus has to get there. And there's all this traffic, but he's got to get there. Immediately she touches him. Immediately, verse 29, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, at once. Jesus realized in the midst of a crowd pressing in that power had gone out from him. Let me pause. All of Jesus's ministry is available for all of the church. To be a Christian is to be like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. This is not unusual. This is what happens when you live in the spirit, the power of the spirit in your life. This is possible for Christians. Power is released and there's a, there's a side effect someone without Jesus focusing in and praying, someone has the faith and is healed from his very presence as he walks through a crowd. And he says this, he turned around with a crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You're at a chance concert. You're at the Star Wars. You're trying to rush in to get the perfect seat. This is before they had select your own seats in the theaters. You're trying to get through. And Jesus' disciples can't even believe. They're like, are you crazy? How could you even ask? Well, you're nuts. How can you even ask who touched you? Everyone's touching you. But Jesus knows something. And here's the key. Look at this. Pay attention real quick. She wants to be healed. And Jesus looks for a personal encounter. This woman is not some random person in the crowd. My father has some business here and I need to make sure that she knows what's going on because Jesus knows power left. Jesus knows somebody touched him. Now he's looking for the who. Who is it that received this benevolent gift that rather than me being contaminated by her uncleanliness, my holiness and purity and freedom was just extended as a side effect of my presence in her life who touched me, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and this is a crazy moment because she realizes, uh uh-oh, something happened. She's in trouble, and religious leaders would condemn her. Religious leaders would shame her. Religious leaders would force her to be punished because that's what religion does. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his, his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She just experienced healing. Now she's in trouble. She's caught. And what do you think in a religious culture you would expect from a religious man? Anything but this. Daughter, daughter, my little girl, your faith has saved you. Go in shalom, right relationship with God and others, the harmony of all creation. Go in the right relationship with God and creation and be freed from your suffering. What is that? That's the incarnation of love speaking to a daughter that needed to be reminded of who she really was. Peace is what you get in fellowship. She's restored into fellowship through Jesus. Now, what happens next is amazing too because while Jesus was speaking, as he stops to investigate this moment, Remember, he had a mission to save a dying person. Somebody was literally dying. And someone from Jairus' house comes up to him, to the synagogue leader, and says, your daughter is now dead. Great. This unclean, contaminated woman killed my daughter. Why bother the teacher anymore, they say. and overhearing this, what Jesus said was, don't be afraid, just believe. And then he goes on to heal the the little girl. Um, but I love this story for so many reasons. The story of this woman's testimony becomes the testimony that inspires and, uh, the faith for the, the little girl to be healed. But what you notice in the story is that as Jesus is urgently moving towards the dying, he's fully present in the moment of what God's doing in his midst. He's willing to stop everything, to be interrupted for the outcast to pause for the overlooked and say, no, 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 I see you. Go in peace. Be freed from your torment. You see, I believe distraction is brutal. It's killing us. It's so violent, we don't even realize it because distraction keeps us from being present to the presence of God in our life. The simple distraction on our iPhones on our smartphones, on our tablets, our TV. This distraction keeps us from the presence of God, experiencing it on a regular basis. Distraction will blind us to the people around us that we need to see. Distraction silences the words that we need to speak to the people that are around us. Distraction hinders a person that needs to be touched. We refrain ourselves. Distraction disempowers the power of God being released within our life. Because we're not paying attention to it. We're unaware of the burning bush, the neck brace. We don't see the person in need. We're distracted. You see, your presence brings power into a room because his presence is power. Your presence brings power because his presence is power. And I simply, this, I just want to wake us up to pay attention, to slow down, to be present, and to release and eliminate the distractions that keep us from all those things. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.